Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My next guest is Kristen Armstrong, who is the reigning queen of the Olympic time trial, having won the last three Olympic games. She is not only the most decorated U.S. female cyclist of all time, she is also the best time trialist in cycling history. Besides winning three Olympic gold medals in three consecutive games, she is also a two-time world champion and six-time U.S. national champion. Additionally, at age 42, Kristen became the oldest female cyclist in history to win an Olympic gold medal. She is now passing on her vast knowledge and experience to the athletes she coaches, which include Haley Batten and Emma White, who are headed to the Tokyo Olympic Games. I hope you enjoy this episode and can take away a few tips to help you with your own race day preparations. Kristen Armstrong, thank you so much. This is uh, amazing how I have the reigning gold medalist from Rio, uh, women's time trial, on as a guest today. And um, I take it you are not competing in this year's uh, Olympics. Is that what I heard? <laughs> yeah, I'm not competing in this year. But um, oh. when they when they did delay when they did delay that the the Olympics a year, you know, there were there were plenty of messages to me asking if maybe this would be my opportunity to make a comeback. I have one last chance. But now, you're, you're, yeah, well, you're still in the program, the anti-doping program, right? So you can leave that window open. <laughs> Absolutely, always, right? Always for yeah. my next QOM on Strava. Don't they do exactly? The, don't they do those checks there? <laughs> yeah, you got to keep your options open these days. Amazing. I mean, you have won the last three Olympic games in the time trial, reigning gold medalist. Um, how does it feel to? Are, are, are you going to the games? First of all. You know, I'm not going to the games. The spectators and the coaching staff is very limited. So, um, you know, most of the, obviously they've just come out with the spectators. There are no spectators allowed, not right. even the locals. But when it comes to coaches, you know, I think that most of the coaches are going to come from those who work for the national federations uh, because there are just such a limited amount of people that are allowed to be part of um, the group that goes over. Yeah. Well, it's got to be a, a little different feeling for you, but it's also probably nice not to have to deal with with all that. But um, you you definitely have a place in the Olympics um, this year coming up in a couple of weeks. Tell us uh, who you're working working with uh, athletes that are attending. Yeah, so I work with a couple athletes that will be going to Tokyo. One of them is Haley Batten, who is a mountain biker for um, Team USA, and. Then I also work with Emma White, who is riding on the track. She rides the road as well. She was well-known cross racer back in the day, just several years ago, uh, until she converted to the track. And so she's made the team as well, and will be representing Team USA for the the pursuit, the the, the yeah. team pursuit. Yes. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I, I was saying it's kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, you have a mountain biker, and then a <laughs> team pursuit athlete 
and you, you coach other disciplines, I'm, I'm sure as well, but like, how do you compartmentalize all that? I mean, it's, they are, 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 how similar or maybe different are they? Yeah, it's a really good question. In fact, when I first became a coach, it was a natural progression from being an athlete myself. And I think a lot of athletes find that when you, whether it's during your career or after your career, you want to continue to help the next generation. And that's sort of where my passion was when it came to coaching. I had no desire to start my own coaching company. I thought, well, if I can just pick a few um, people who I can help kind of get to that next level, then I want to provide, you know, the resources I have and just the insight, you know, just the experience. And, you know, at first I was thinking that it's inevitable that people are only going to ask me to coach them if they're female, if they ride their bikes on the road and if they love time trialing <laughs> and then all of a sudden I start getting these athletes getting in contact with me and um, it's anywhere from cyclocross racing to racing the track to mountain biking to the road and I'm just like oh yeah I gotcha <laughs> and so I had to do um, a lot of learning because one of the things as a coach, I I think because I think one of the things, the reason why I don't have a massive coaching company is because I just love specifically honing in on an athlete and uniquely trying to make them the best athlete they can become. Um, and so that's how I started is I started taking different athletes that I felt that their personality was a good match with mine and their goals aligned with sort of like, can I really help them? And um, it just happened to be that the, the, the women that I started coaching had different interests in just being on the road. Now, they use road racing as uh, kind of something that they, they competed in, and, but I wouldn't say it was necessarily what they were the best at. And so it, it's been an interesting journey, but I always look at how do I coach these athletes differently? And I would say that specifically to their event, it becomes very, very different and very specific. But overall, my methodology, I guess, has always been to create and build the biggest and best engine that I possibly can before right. I really start honing in on the specifics of their event. Right. I mean, mountain bike, that, <laughs> you know, that has to be. I don't know. Is it a little intimidating to say, well, I'm, I'm not at a, on a world-class level as a mountain biker, but I'll, I'll take that challenge on and, and coach someone to the Olympics. And, um, or, you know, that has to be invigorating too, mm -hmm. kind of learning that new kind of discipline of the sport or, or how much experience have you had working with mountain bikers? Yeah, no, I, I actually had more experience working with uh, cyclocross racers before I started working with mountain bikers and I follow mountain biking. And, um, like I said, when I interview an athlete to, to coach and work with them, it's really important that I, that I know that I can help them and who they are. And so part of that process and learning about them is, um, obviously we know mountain biking has become, uh, a new sport. If you were to look at mountain biking back in, uh, you know, the nineties and the early two thousands, you know, I may say as a road cyclist that I, I might be pretty good at a cross country race, but these days 
<laughs> you know, mountain biking has become, you better know your skills. You better be able to ride a bike <laughs> because right. the rock gardens that they build and the circuits that they have are insane. They're incredibly challenging. Um, and if you don't have that part of your game down, it's going to be really hard to make it to the top of the sport. And so part of me speaking with Haley Batten at first was to really learn. And I actually asked around, I do this. Um, what are her, what is her skill set? Can she ride the technical sections with the, with the best of them? Because if she can't, you know, um, I can help her in other ways, but she's really going to have to hone that in. And luckily for me, uh, she had the reputation of being one of the best on the bike, uh, meaning in the technical aspect. And so I am very fortunate as her coach to, um, she has that, that part of it. So the other piece of it is, and as you know, when you coach more and more uh, athletes and you look at the different disciplines, it's really just applying what are the demands of each course. And we can look at that in road racing as well. We can say, well, what's the demand of a hilly circuit, a one-day race versus a, a seven-day stage race versus a time trial versus a criterium? And luckily, um, you know, obviously, you know, you are the owner of Training Peaks, but I can't say enough about Training Peaks. On Without Training Peaks, it would be really hard to know if I can help athletes with, with such gaps, um, meaning I can take – a file and I can really kind of break it down and, and look at the demands across what is, what is uh, the demands of a mountain bike race and, and how can I train an athlete to be prepared for the demands of a mountain bike race. And so we know that um, if you were to look at a cross race, a, a criterium, a time trial in a road race and you throw in a mountain bike race, they're all going to have differences. And so instead of looking at it as a discipline, I actually tend to look at things as what are the demands within that race? And then when you start working with a certain discipline, I even break it down more and I say, well, what are the demands for that specific race? Because now right. in mountain biking, right. every week is different. You know, every yep. world cup is, you know, is it Nova Mesto or is it Alpstop? Because those are two different demands that we need to be focused on versus, um, if you haven't seen any of the, 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 the test event from Tokyo in the mountain bike, it is, I mean, it is so worth just putting in Tokyo test event and YouTubing that thing because you will not believe what we get to spectate here pretty soon. <laughs> I've like, never, never seen anything like this course coming up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been watching the, the world cups and it, it, you are absolutely right. Every week is different. And this last race, Leger in France, the mud, mm. wasn't it just incredibly muddy in the roots and they're running, they have to like walk downhill just because the off camber mud sections. But then there's the dry races with the big rock gardens, as you mentioned. Um, so having that, those skills are so, so important. Do you have, does she have skills days, you know, where you set mm. aside and, you know, you are actually working on skills or is she past that point? You know, she does have um, skills days where we do work on those things. Um, a lot of it, you know, when it comes to um, riding over the roots and the wet terrain and uh, in Tokyo, it's the boulders. <laughs> it's like okay. the rock gardens. Right. Um, you know, it's nice. She actually goes to college up in Canada. And when you talk about 
technical terrain and how do you find that? Well, it's really actually quite hard to find in America. You know, uh, a lot of the terrain that you find in Europe is very different. You can go to the East Coast, but she couldn't ask for a better place um, up in us um, in Squim where she goes to to college. Uh, it's really wet. It's really rooty. It's really, really technical. So every mountain bike ride she does, she uh, tends to to find great joy and she gets her endorphins. I She's not an athlete that I have to actually ask to go practice her skill set. She will send me video clips and I'm just like, I am <laughs> never riding with you. Like, right. um, and when you do, you're coming to Boise where you can actually ride your gravel bike on all of our trails because they're just sandy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so never ask me to come. And she laughs and she thinks, oh, Kristen, whatever. You can go down anything. I'm like, oh no, Haley, you don't understand. You're 22 years old. I'm not. Um, <laughs> and so she has that daredevil um, attitude. And if you've ever met anyone uh, you know, I've, I've met those, uh, those, you know, extreme daredevils where, you know, they're in those wingsuits and they have no problem jumping from a plane. Or I've asked people before, how do you, you know, downhill skiers, how do you get to the point where you feel confident doing, doing things such as, uh, going off jumps and being lifted six feet in the air on a mountain bike? And, and how do you, how do you get to the place where you feel that you can actually do this? and with confidence. And, you know, quite often people will tell you that it's just, it's never been a, an issue for me because it's just, um, it's, you're almost born with this innate ability to, to take these risks. And it's something that I haven't been able to do. So I find great pleasure, uh, watching these world cups on Red Bull because they really do show that action and what these athletes are up against. Like you described, uh, the roots, the dryness, um, you never know what you're up against. But with that being said, as a coach, it's really, really difficult. One of the, my biggest challenges when you're coaching someone in cyclocross or mountain biking that's very different is you mentioned things aren't consistent. And when things aren't consistent for an athlete, it can put you in what I consider one of the most important elements of success is your mindset. And when your mindset is ebb and flowing because of the inconsistency in racing. Uh, that's just, right. that just creates a new challenge on, on how you coach an athlete to be okay with one week having an amazing race and hitting the podium and the next week, not being able to hit that or even close. Right. Yeah. The world cup mountain <laughs> bike races are so much like that. And, you know, <laughs> the short track, you know, on the Friday evenings really <laughs> set up the Sunday start grid, no matter how, no matter what your world ranking is, if you mess up the short track, you could be on the third row, you know, for the start of the cross country on Sunday and, and having to deal with that every single week is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and this, this next, you know, this younger generation, they, they're into catching air and all these kind of, uh, extreme kind of moves. And I, I think I look at it as dancing. They just have these dance moves and they, no matter what comes to them, it's like jazz, whenever, anything comes to them, they know the right move, you know, to, to do in the air or hop their rear wheel or whatever it might be. So it's just 10,000 hour rule, you know, it year is after year after year, you know? And um, I think yeah. this is uh, you see it with both Haley Batten and Kate Courtney. I love the fact that we're seeing this generation that's coming from the NICA world and, right. you know, both of those women um, raced 
as part of NICA. And, and you're seeing NICA is truly producing this next generation. Whereas when I got into the sport, you know, I started at age 29 and there's no way I'm job, jumping off a rock garden at even age 29. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, yeah. yeah. And it was Sepp Kuss as well, right? Oh, Out of Durango. Yeah. I mean, winning a stage of the Tour de France this week. Yeah, it's absolutely um, unbelievable. You know, I think that this next generation, there was a little bit of a a period in these last few years where I think we're all sitting back saying, well, who is going to rise? Who is going to be this next group that's coming up? And I think we're starting to see um, uh, that, that group. And I think it's about every three to four years, you know, you have an athlete that just wows the whole world, you know, and it could be, you know, someone like Chloe Diger, who you're like, where did this person come from? I, I remember in my day when, you know, you had like the Allison Powers and you had, right, these, <laughs> yeah, you had Didi and you had Christine Thorburn and all of a sudden, or you had the Mara Abbott coming from uh, her background right. of swimming. And, and you're right. thinking, they're just these athletes that that know how to to compete and they have that engine and cycling just happens to be that next step and um again those women i just mentioned none of them came from a pure cycling background but i do think that we are starting to see those kids who didn't burn out started at age you know 11 and it's really neat to see that they found their way and they're continuing in the sport without being burnt out and, and quitting the sport. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I've got 50 more questions about mountain biking <laughs> here, but I, I, you know, let, let's give Emma her, her limelight as well. <laughs> Team pursuit. I was, I've always been amazed how just exact of a sport you know, team pursuit is they won't even release the gear she is using for the Olympics yet. And that it is to that level. It's even to the level where the chain (laughs) is on the left side of the bike. Yes, folks, the chain, the drive (laughs) chain is on the left side of the bike. Why? For aerodynamics, because they're turning left for some reason. That's faster. And it's a $26,000 bike. And Mm -hmm. yes, you can buy it from felt if anybody wants enough. (laughs) side drive uh, track bike. But, you know, Emma White, I mean, you know, she's won, I think, the sprint jersey in the Tour of California, stages in Tour of the Gila as recently as 2018 into 2019. Um, And then how do you make the jump from that into track? Has she, or has she always been doing track through cyclocross, et cetera? No, actually, it's really interesting. So Emma is one of the kindest individuals. In fact, Emma brought... um, Coaches will relate, relate to this. When you have an athlete that just brings so much joy to coaching that you never want to stop coaching that athlete because <laughs> yeah, the first thing she always asks me on a phone call is, how are you doing? How's your family? How's your son? And uh, she just brings so much joy. And um, she called me. She got a lot of people um, back when she was in high school. I was getting messages about, um, there's this girl that wants you to coach her. And I was like, I don't coach juniors. Because uh, I can't coach their parents, it's so hard. <laughs> and so, um, she kept on getting a hold of me through other people, and finally, she made the phone call herself. And um, after about thirty minutes of talking with Emma, I knew I wanted to coach and work with her. She knew what she wanted. She used to follow around her brother on a bike, who um, obviously uh, also races. And it has been super successful as well. And, and her family is um, 
all about, you know, riding her, her father coaches rowing at a university. And so they're just a sport, sport, sporting family. And she used to go around and travel around doing cyclocross races in the Northeast. And, and, um, so she was racing soccer cross. It was just kind of part of her blood. And, and she started racing, uh, you know, on the road as well and loving the crit life. And she raced for hot tubes and she was like the only, only female on the team and junior. And, um, and so we, you know, were, were working together and, uh, it was kind of a year round thing. She graduated from high school, went to college, was balancing a number of different things in her life. And she had the hard winters, and so we were on indoor, and in, we were riding indoors quite a bit as well. And um, we had these great conversations. And and what did she want to do? You know, she knew she wanted to graduate from college. She has a major, and she majored in computer science. And she had these aspirations of um, becoming a world champion in U twenty three cross racing and winning cross races. And she wanted to, you know, she has a just she's a natural sprinter on the road and she has pulled off some pretty darn good time trials as well and so she was kind of all over the map and we knew that she was good at pretty much everything when it involved two wheels and but we had this great conversation one day about how you know her childhood dream you know like a lot of us we want to go to the olympic games and could she ever accomplish that and what would that look like and um, I kind of had to break the news to her that cyclocross wasn't an Olympic sport. <laughs> and so, or it'll know. be in the winter Olympics. <laughs> exactly. And, and so, you know, what we're going to do in, in the near future and did she want to really hone in on the road, try to make that team or I was working closely, uh, with USA cycling at the time, um, where we were trying to get some of those track camps and recruit new women uh, to, for the team pursuit. And they've had such success in Rio, but there were some retire, retirements from athletes and they had definitely had some gaps. And with her cyclocross background and, and the power numbers that I knew she had uh, and her ability to, I just knew the important part of getting off the line in such a big gear was so important. And I, I knew Emma could do this. And so I threw it out there. I said, well, what would you ever, would you ever consider going to a track camp and a talent ID camp to see what, what you can make of it? Uh, the team pursuit would be right up your alley. And if you had fun doing it, you can make that and complement that with your other disciplines and choose up for anything. And I told her at the end of the day, if it didn't work out, it would improve her sprinting. <laughs> and, yeah. um, so she gave it a go and, uh, the rest was history. I mean, she, I, I, people at the camp couldn't believe how smooth she was. She was natural. Wow. And right. um, she kept racing on the road that year because uh, there's only a few talent ID camps that year. And that was back in 2018 in the spring. And um, it came a time that next winter where we had to have a, a conversation. If she really wanted to make the Tokyo games in 2020, she really needed to get on these World Cup teams because if you don't get in the World Cup, uh, you don't qualify. You have to earn points for yourself, but you also have to get in with the team. And, you know, that pretty much conflicted with soccer cross. And that was a really, really hard decision for not only herself, but also family, you know, having those discussions, it was definitely a family affair. I mean, that, that's what they did together as a white family. And um, they all together, you know, made a decision that she was going to pour her energy into the track and, and give it a go. And I said, you're giving it a go, Emma, for, for, for 18 months. 
you know, we didn't know at the time that the, the games were going to be delayed. And so she took the, the fast course and stepped right into the World Cups. Uh, she was riding, you know, rider number four and five, but she was making that team every time. And then um, it was amazing. You know, last year she was part of that world championship team and they won. And uh, now Emma is one of the leaders on the team. She's incredible. And she's poured her heart and soul. She graduated college um, just about uh, a year and a half ago. And it was the fall right before Tokyo was supposed to happen. And so she was going to college and flying out to track camps throughout this whole process. And she has loved every minute of it. And she's in Colorado Springs now. And she's, she's super ready. And um, I keep on talking about how this is, this is a finale. You know, this is, we always do these countdowns on when her last long rides are, (laughs) when her (laughs) last block is, when her, her last rest, rest block is. And so, yeah, she's on the final countdown and couldn't be more excited. Wow. That it, that's awesome. I mean, to set your sights on a goal that you haven't even done half of it. <laughs> we're going to try and go to the Olympics in a effectively a new entirely new discipline, new to her. Um getting on the track, you know, track time is tough. She obviously had to move to Colorado Springs. Um how do you replicate that on the road? What type of, mm-hmm. what's the favorite workouts there of uh, <laughs> when she's on the road bike and she's got to do some real meaty pursuit workouts? What are those, those yeah. got to be in the hurt locker. Yeah. So, um, you know, at first when, when she was trying to get just some experience with uh, her standing starts, cause if you can't get off the line with the mm, team, then you're right. not going to make it. So right. <laughs> two things became really important in Emma's life, which was strength training, which was off the bike training, which, Okay. A lot of roadies, you know, we do strength training, but a lot of the strength training we do is uh, injury prevention. So I wouldn't consider it to the extreme of, of what you have to do as a pursuit rider. Um, a pursuit rider, to get off the line in over a 100-inch gear is incredibly difficult. Uh, and so she had to implement a very, very, um, uh, a very structured, I would say, strength training routine is part of her, her plan. Uh, that was a a new element that she had to add. And then, so we did a lot of standing starts, um, out on the road, but as far as when we're working to make sure that she can replicate things when she hops on the track. So depending on what season it was, if it was during our, our base or our prep season, you know, we would, we would, you know, it's really important to have that, that base foundation. It's no different than a road. You have to build that threshold. You have to build those efficiencies before you can bring that other work in. But one of the things that we would do, we would go outside and to really help not only with that VO2, but also with um, helping athletes get that, that extra torque in at the same time as VO2 to make Mm -hmm. things um, as efficient as possible. One of my favorite workouts is our, our three sets of three by threes. Um, But instead of just doing those on a, you know, a flat road or a three to 5% grade, we would actually go above 10 to 15%. So we, I would be putting, I would be forcing her, uh, as she's getting that VO2 in, but to also be forcing that strength element of, of the system. And they're seated? Uh, they would be seated. Yeah. Yeah. And so it really, she really responded well to that. Um, 
But when we were in the earlier base season, she responded well to our strength, our no more strength endurance workouts, which end up being between five and seven, uh, 10 minute uh, strength endurance efforts that are at a lower cadence, more around that 60 RPM point. And um, at the same time, you have to think though, it's kind of, it contradicts each other. So you're trying to get strength, you're trying to get that glute recruitment, making sure that that athlete is strong um, while you're building that foundation. But at the same time, you think about the track and now they're forced to get on the track and they're pedaling at 115 to 120 RPMs. <laughs> and right. so they get on and, and they're like, Kristen, I'm dying. And I'm like, yes, we also yeah. have to get the, the high end, the high RPM. So there are times that, that though um, we're trying to get the most power and maximize the power out of an athlete, there are times where we'll have sessions where we'll go out and we'll do, uh, you know, two sets of uh, three by threes and I'll say, okay, I know your power may be lower, uh, but we have to hit our RPMs at 115. And, and you'll see because the efficiency isn't quite there yet, that transfer over that, that power, those power numbers are going to be much lower than if she were to be able to, I would say, grab a gear or two uh, and be yeah. where she would be a little bit more comfortable producing that kind of power. So, uh, you always in the track you have to look at not only building this this anaerobic piece, uh, but you have to build it uh, with what uh, you have to build that with the regular cadence. But then you also have to go back and and also transfer that over to a higher cadence, which is quite interesting. And so I find that uh, we utilize indoor training as well to to really hone in on some of these specific training workouts that we need to get in when we're not in Colorado. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. I love how, I mean, you started the conversation with strength training while, yeah. you know, road cyclists think they know what strength training <laughs> is, but real strength training, yeah, it's try this, yes. you know, and it's, it's the core, it's your shoulders. It's, it's like your entire body getting behind that gear, you know, off the start line. Um, you know, and then, and then those, I think, I think you mentioned, you know, seven, 10 minute, you know, 60 RPM, yeah. low, low seated efforts, kind of transitioning uh -huh. that muscle you've built into the cycling, but then Lord, the race is 115 plus RPM. Yep. So you got to work on how do you bring that strength training with the skills of, you know, the pedaling dynamics and all that is so fascinating and how you, you know, it's just breaking it out into its pieces. I mean, months and months and months ahead of time. Um, trying to line it all up. And that's just the art and science of coaching, which is pretty darn amazing. A, a question I have on the three by threes, is, is that mm -hmm. like a, a six minute all like, so the power she would do that at would be like a six minute all out pace, five or yeah. six minute so, max yeah, power we, pace. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. And, um, it'd be, you know, you'd be up in that, um, that 120% of your FTP. It's right. Um, and you would go three on three off three times, and then you'd have a big break, like a 10 minute in between each of those main sets. And, you know, one of the biggest mistakes athletes will make in that first set, they only make the mistake one time is, yeah. you know, they flex and they go, you know, above that. Uh, and they get into that, uh, that anaerobic zone where, you know, you can only last for 60 seconds. <laughs> and so yeah. they have a huge drop off and then they don't come back. And, um, it's, it's really important that, uh, you know, you walk your athletes through that moment of, we look at 
interview intervals that are, you know, three minutes or less. And we think that we can just power through those. And what happens is we tend to go out so hard in that first minute. And one of the learning lessons, I'll, I'll take it back to Haley for a second, is how detrimental going out too hard uh, in a race can be, you know, to right. your overall uh, day. And I love, I love it when athletes learn on their own. So a lot of times in the first session of a workout, such as these three by threes, or even we can take a five by five, which is another one of my favorite workouts. And uh, until they learn it on their own, you can preach it, preach it, preach it. <laughs> um, but then you have them uh, really kind of do it in a reverse way and say, Hey, we're going to take these five minutes and you're not going to go out outside for the first two minutes. You're not going to go outside of this zone. And if you yeah. have it in the last three minutes, go for it. But typically they don't. Again, yeah. it's just one of those learning experiences. And I, and I love it when athletes go through that learning experience because it just brings up such great conversations. Um, but when you talked about really mapping it out and, uh, and really breaking it down to these components, it is very important um, that that you do break it down as a coach. It is an art. It is a science, and you have to combine the two. I think that you know sometimes we can work with someone that is very much by the uh, you wake up and how do you feel? You're going to go out and you're going to you're going to just go off and, and do how you feel, and those are going to be that's going to be your ride today. And then you have. Uh, the athlete who is very, very focused on their data and the three devices they have uh, on their arm, on their, on their power <laughs> meter, you know, there's so many different metrics that we're reading these days. And so it can become very overwhelming and we can become very robotic very, very easily. And then you have the, the hybrid version of all of this, which is um, how do you feel? Um, you know, how are you feeling? Um, what is the data? You know, you have to have data dr driving a lot of uh, how you move forward and progress, but you also have to listen to yourself and, and your body and, and really be in tune that way. Cause at the end of the day, data does matter. However, uh, there are, there are times that you have to go by feel. And I always love to, to share my example from my time trial in Rio where, um, you know, I, I, it was a hilly course and I had to, I had to save that half pound on my bike and that half pound was my power meter. And mm -hmm. so I did use my power meter daily. I, I used training peaks as my daily log for my 12 year career. But on that day, in that moment, you know, you know how to go hard. And so I, you know, that's what I did. I took away, I took away my data and I just went for it. So, you know, I always, I always like to break things down. Like you said, and see how we can break things down and become the best at everything we break down and then, and then merge them all together as we, as we try to peak. Yeah, certainly. I love that advice. You know, don't play to the numbers every single day. There's value in hiding them and looking at them later on, but you know, tuning into that internal pacing clock and that RPE and that mm -hmm. pain management, you have to manage the pain and no devices or data is going to help you with that. Yeah, I, that has I, to be learned. I think so. And I think that, you know, I am a great example of 
I didn't test well in the lab. In fact, if you looked at me on, if you just were to choose <laughs> off of data, I wasn't, I think people were shocked when they saw like my data. They were like, really? You're kind of, you're kind of okay on paper. <laughs> um, but you start putting in aerodynamics and you start putting in the mindset and things change real quickly. Um, you know, I think that when it comes to Olympic games, I had the opportunity to go to four and now I'm coaching into a fifth one. And what's unique about events and what's unique about the Olympic games is that every one of the Olympic games had its own, uh, what I would say, uh, back pocket focus for me. And it has the same as we go into Tokyo. So as an athlete on, on this top level, you have to always think about the, the physical part is we're all pretty much the same. Our, our power numbers, I mean, at the end of the day, to get to that level, we have to, we have to be at some level with our nutrition, the way we eat, the way we perform physiologically. Our mindset's going to be what our mindset is. But if you break down each Olympic Games, you know, you look at like when I went to Beijing, we had to focus on the weight of my bike because the time trial was pretty much uphill. Um, London was very, very flat. So I had to really focus on the aerodynamics. That was going to be the key contributor to my success over my competitors. And you look at Rio and, you know, it was all about the Zika virus. It was about the hills. It was about the weight of the bike. But it was also a lot of technology had come in play and there was a lot of different um, opinions out there around what's the fastest, you know, we're talking about wheels and tires and everyone had their different opinion. And now we're going into Tokyo and let's, you know, the key element in Tokyo is the heat. And we are going to see people win races that we didn't think we're going to win races because of the humidity and the relative humidity and the factor it's going to play on the athletes. And so, um, that now has become a focus for both Haley and Emma. How are we going to bring this fitness and all the work we've done for the last several years? And how are we going to now focus, you know, the last six weeks, my focus has been on, on really talking with as many experts as possible around heat. <laughs> and as a coach, it's the fun part is saying how, as a coach, are you going to even up your game? Uh, in the element that's going to probably make the biggest difference for the athletes event. Yeah. And, and the heat, has there been specific protocols in, in training around that incorporating um, heat adaptation type type sessions? Yeah. And it, and you know, it's what was confusing at first is depending on who you speak to, they have a different opinion, right? Isn't that how life is, is <laughs> you, you, you ask somebody what they think. And hey, the art, the art of coaching. <laughs> it is the art of coaching. And so, we are not only training uh, in the heat, uh, you can't really replicate the humidity as it will be in Tokyo because it's very difficult unless you're in Atlanta, Georgia, or Florida. Um, but we're doing a good job over in Italy with Haley. And then um, we also will be, we're using uh, sauna as part of our, our heat protocol. Now with Emma, she's lucky in Colorado, they have a room that can specifically right. be put to the heat of uh, what they'll experience in Tokyo. However, rumor has it that the velodrome will be air conditioned. So <laughs> mm -hmm. um, now that is, you take the it, the heat outside of the event and you start thinking about the other elements. If 
the event is going to be air conditioned for Emma, you got to think about how she's sleeping. Are the rooms she's staying in going to be air conditioned? How do we make sure she gets the best sleep possible in these warmer conditions? Yeah. And if, you know, even if it is an air conditioned track indoors, <laughs> yeah. um, that, that adaptation is still going to benefit, you know, a bigger engine in the end of the day, Absolutely. more blood plasma volume, yep. et cetera. So it can, it can, you know, help you even in, in cold races, you know, the, the saunas, et cetera, can help with that as well. So. Oh, absolutely. It's so, so much, so much benefit to it. And so, yeah, we're going through and, and, and Emma in Colorado is also, uh, doing heat training in a different way. So. Yeah. Fascinating. It's going to be awesome to watch. Can't <laughs> wait. Get, get started here in a couple weeks. Um, yeah, thank you so much for a little bit of the behind the curtain insights into preparation for the, for the Tokyo Olympics. And, um, how can people contact you or reach you or follow you? Yeah. So I, um, my Instagram is kstrong22. And, um, as far as contacting me, you know, I'm always, I'm always open to, to talking. I love, I love coaching and, um, it's, it's my passion and it always will be, but you know, you can contact me through Instagram. Um, I have also a new platform called KX3 lifestyle yep. and coaching, and we have a website, but yeah, it's, um, it's been fun. And again, I, I love talking. I love, I love coaching. I love helping others. And I appreciate your time and having me on, on your podcast. Cause, um, yeah, we always say knowledge is power. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're getting a new office at Training Peaks, which I told you about. And one of the first framed jerseys I'm putting up is uh, one of your Olympic um, jerseys that you gave us. And I love the quote you wrote on it. And you said, thanks for keeping me honest. So I, I love that about you, keeping everybody honest, um, helping us with the, all of our knowledge, as okay. you said. And uh, good luck with your athletes uh, in the Olympics. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I can't, I honestly, I say this and I tell this to everybody, you know, training peaks is a tool that I think, um, we, we underestimate what the power of training peaks can provide an athlete. I have, uh, if you were, if anyone to have access to my training peaks account, it has data from, uh, from the beginning of my career and I've created, it became my diary and to write, yeah your feedback and diaries, it, it brought a lot of confidence back when I made two comebacks and, um, yeah. I, I used it. You wouldn't believe how much I used it and I still use it. Um, even when I'm building peaks for other athletes, because to peak for three different Olympic games, uh, you know, obviously I had my, my help from my coach, Jim Miller, but to go back and, and to think about what we did and how we peaked, I, I, I go back as like, it's like my, my textbook. I still use it. So yeah, that's awesome. It's well documented yeah, and it is, I hear, I hear you. I, mine's documented <laughs> all, all the way to the year 1999. <laughs> Crazy times. I love it. I love it. So thank you. Yeah. Super cool. Thanks so much, Kristen. And, uh, look forward to the Olympic games. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. For more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. <laughs> <laughs>